Would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus 24? Pattern and penalty. Of course, by the pattern of God, the tabernacle teaches who man is, who God is, and how we can have a relationship, how there can be a covenant. In uh, the general pattern of the tabernacle, there were three parts. The outer court, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. These are reflective of the three parts of man. The outer court would be representative of the body, the flesh, the human body. The holy place of the soul, which is the seat of intelligence and learning, emotion, um, will, everything that you can think of. But then the holy of holies is the presence of God, that mysterious place. And this is the spirit of man where God bears witness with us. Inside the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. So if we take to ourselves the belief and understanding that God is teaching us that our soul is, and all that works within our soul is, is reflected within what God gives regarding instruction of the holy place, we find there are three pieces of furniture there. There's the candelabra, the menorah, the, the table, the showbread table, the table of the presence of God, the, the showbread, the presence bread, the bread of presence, and uh, the altar of incense. So we're going to see from, I think, from the materials and what is given to us in the first uh, nine verses of Leviticus 24, how the mind, the emotions and the will of man are represented and what those materials mean with regard to man in his soul. Now we're taught in the book of Hebrews that the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, is what can divide the soul from the spirit. There are actually theologians that teach that there are only two parts of a man and that the soul and the spirit are interchangeable, but of course it's not true. The Bible doesn't, I don't know how they get this because when man is created, it's very clear in the creation of man that uh, the clay, the flesh is given and then the spirit is imparted. And when that happens, man becomes a living soul. So he has an emotional seat where he has ideas and knowledge uh, and can express himself and so forth. This comes from the soul. The spirit is that place for God. Now that's the Holy of Holies. We're going to just deal here 
with the three pieces of furniture in the holy place. Only priests could go in here. And it was otherwise dark except for the provision of light that is given in the law and instruction for the tabernacle. So there, there, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of uh, meaningful uh, metaphorical illustrations here that are rich in instruction for us as the people of God. So let's look at it. First of all, the menorah, the candelabra. Now, it was to never go out. You may remember from uh, our study in Exodus, the high priest had to attend day and night to, these, to this light that uh, was in there. And so it begins like this. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, command the sons of Israel and they shall take to you pure olive oil, crushed for lighting to kindle the lamps continually. So the lamp, the lamps, the menorah was to burn continually. The instructions here in this portion of Leviticus, as I have mentioned in times past, are the instructions regarding holiness for God's people. So this is uppermost on our minds when we look at this section of Leviticus. Now let's look at this verse two, pure olive oil, crushed in a manner so that there are no impurities in the oil. And this pure oil is what is to be used to kindle the lamps perpetually, continually. Outside of the dividing curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall set it up before Yahweh from evening to morning continually. This shall be an eternal statute for your generations. Upon the pure menorah, he shall set up the lamps before Yahweh continually. Let's think about this and think about your soul and my soul and what in our existence is part of what the soul is, emotions, learning, uh, the will, a lot of things, decisions. Here, here in this place, in this, holy of, in this holy place, is a space of darkness. As I said earlier, there were no windows here. Only the priests are here. The general congregation is not here, although the general congregation is represented by the 12 loaves. And we'll talk about that on the next slide. But this light is never to go out. So let's talk about the light here. It is fueled by pure oil. Nothing contaminated about it. Now, oil is clearly representative of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So this light that is provided 
is energized by that which is representative of the Holy Spirit, pure Holy Spirit. The term here continually means that it's to go on and on. So the, the provision for the light coming from the oil, which, who is the Holy Spirit, is always there. It is, it is an eternal flow of uh, the Holy Spirit continually. Now, outside the dividing curtain, the high priest tends to it evening to morning continually. This never stops with any high priest. The next high priest after Aaron will do this and so forth all the way through. Now, upon the pure menorah, now the word gold is not in here, but when we go back to Exodus and we read what the candlestick, the menorah, the candelabra is made of, it's made of pure gold. Pure gold illustrates the presence of deity. So this is the presence of God. He shall set up the lamps before Yahweh continually. Okay. In a dark place, the holy place, in an otherwise dark place where no light can come in, the only light that is provided is the light that will shine perpetually, that is divinely present and eternally perpetually energized by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind. Light in the Bible is representative of the Word of God. So the place is dark except for how God has provided for light. God, the Holy Spirit, energizes the light, feeds the light perpetually, and the presence of the light comes from the very thing that illustrates deity, God himself. Talking about the soul of man, three parts of the soul of man that are addressed here. And the first part is the mind of redeemed humanity. We are taught here that it is supremely important for the people of God to continually attend to the word of God. God will make it present. God will provide for it. God will place it in us, the divine presence, the gold. God will energize it, make sure that it's always there and that it's always burning and it never goes away. As Christians, let's just fast forward this to apply it to our lives today as the people of God. We should never accept anything that the world teaches unless and until we have first learned what the Bible teaches. Then we can identify those things taught by the world that are contradictory to the word of God and we can reject them because it will be harmful to us. Our life and our journey in darkness 
is enlightened by the word of God. And not just that, but as we're going to see in just a minute, the 12 loaves of the bread of the presence of God represent redeemed humanity. 12 is the number of the tribes. It's the number of the patriarchs. It is a number that is representative of the redeemed people of God. And they are always, they are always there in the presence of this light. So we have, first of all, the light, the mind, the mind within the soul of a man. Now, the next piece of furniture is the table of showbread, presence, the bread of presence, the presence of God. You shall take fine flour, bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf shall be made from two tenths of an ephah of flour. It's a fairly big loaf. There'll be 12 of them. The, the table itself is made of a special, it is constructed of a special kind of wood, but it is overlaid in pure gold. Wood is representative of humanity, but overlaid with gold illustrates the presence and pleasure of God with his people. The number 12, of course, represents the people of God. Place them in two stacks, six in each stack upon the pure table or the gold that has pure gold on it before Yahweh. Now herein is the bread of the presence and the light. It's all in the presence of Yahweh. The people of God, enlightened by the word of God, having the word of God divinely placed within, here now, are seen to be in service before Yahweh as illustrated by the priests. Now the priests can eat this bread when the week is past. Let's look at the rest of the instructions here. And you shall place pure frankincense along each stack. It shall be a reminder for the bread, a fire offering to Yahweh. Let's go ahead and look at the rest of it. Each and every Sabbath day, he shall set it up before Yahweh to be there continuously from the children of Israel an eternal covenant. So this is the redeemed people of God. God has established a covenant with his redeemed. You and I are under the new covenant. The light of God's word shines. We are in the presence of God and we are energized and enlightened and we are dispelling darkness because of the word of God. God's people have the word of God. And there's, another, there's a further instruction here that God's people then are expected to teach the world. Others who live in darkness, we are to show them the light of God's word. Of course, Israel failed miserably in that calling. So we have 12 loaves of bread and the instru within the instruction 
The priests are told that they bring it in on the Sabbath, fresh bread. It is unleavened bread. It is pure. It's made of fine flour. And therefore, God's redeemed people are seen as having had the sin removed. The bread of the presence of God, fine flour, unleavened, in the presence of God, existing in the light of God's word, energized by the Holy Spirit, given to his people in a divine presence, oil and gold. So we, have, we move then from the mind of the soul of man to the emotions of the soul of man. Now, how is it that I say that? Well, let me go back here. And you'll notice here in verse 7, pure frankincense. So part of the bread is to be taken before it's eaten. Frankincense is to be applied to it. And then it is to be taken and it is to be offered on the altar of incense. And that then represents the, the, the obedient heart within the will of the redeemed humanity. Why do I say that? Frankincense always, it never has, it never has its lovely odor until it is crushed and set on fire. This is representative of suffering. Thus we, we come into the obedient heart within the will of the soul. The obedient heart, God's people will always be tested. How much had they already been tested when they come to this point, these children of Israel? It is always that way that if in this world we, we walk in the light of God's word and the divine presence is upon us and we are, we are directed and filled and energized and guided by the Holy Spirit and we come through our obedient hearts into the presence of God, there will be suffering. Now this is the altar of incense. And through that suffering, we offer our cries and our prayers to God. And that is the incense that goes up into the presence of Yahweh. And this, as we've already seen in the study, is a sweet smelling savor to Yahweh. He's pleased with this. Because now the soul here that is depicted along with the mind and the emotions and the will of an obedient heart, all of these are that part of man that controls his emotional and intellectual state. He constantly abides in the presence of God. God is there with him. Illustrated by the priests, God is attending to his needs spiritually. By the eating of the bread, the 12 loaves representing the redeemed of God's people, consuming the bread by the priests shows the fellowship that exists among God's people and with God himself. Reconciliation, peace 
with God. And these are a settling thing to the soul of the redeemed. It carries with it its suffering, but that suffering also produces a sweet smelling savor to Yahweh. So the further instruction here is given that God's people are a holy people and that God's people fellowship with one another in the presence of Yahweh, enlightened by the word of God continually, perpetually, with a divine guidance and presence as is seen by the gold overlaying the wooden table and completely infused by the power of the Holy Spirit as represented in the oil that keeps the lamps burning. All of this shows how God will accept his people on the basis of his redeeming word, his guidance, his power. Everything that we've seen so far up to this point has been leading us to this. Now there, there are some things that the people of God have to learn that can threaten this relationship. So there's, there's this part of Leviticus 24 that that, that just at first reading seems out of place, but not really when you consider what we've just been taught about our souls and the importance of our obedience to the Lord. So, now the son of an Israelite woman, and he was the son of an Egyptian man. Okay, here we already have the problem. Egypt is a type of the world. Israel, the people of God, but here we have a mixture. His mother is an Israelite. His father was an Egyptian man. And he went out among the children of Israel and they quarreled in the camp. This son of the Israelite woman and an Israelite man. So uh, if I can, can I use this term? The purebred Israelite? I don't know. The guy that wasn't mixed with Egyptian blood got into a quarrel with the guy who had one foot in the world. He had Egypt pulsing through his veins. And the son of the Israelite woman pronounced the divine name and cursed. May I with blushing and shame and with fear and trembling before the Lord just say that it is like GD. Okay? But that, but that the, 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 the Yahweh, the God Yahweh, that's his name. His is the name of deity. The divine name. And this half Egyptian cursed that name in his quarrel with the Israelite woman. He was consumed in his life because he was half of the world. 
He was half of himself into the world. So they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shalmolet, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. They placed him in the guardhouse until his sentence would be specified to them by the word of Yahweh. Now Moses hadn't come across this. There were the Ten Commandments and there was the commandment not to take the name of the Lord God in vain. But how was he to handle this particular situation? Just coming through a section where we were taught that God's people are holy. And in the section just previous to this, that the soul of a man, the emotional state and his mind and his will and his obedient heart, all of these things come into subjection in the light of God's word. He's enlightened and he is in the presence of God. God has brought him by representation of the loaves of the presence, the bread of presence. God has brought him into his presence. Now one of them curses the divine name. So Moses takes it to Yahweh. Now this is the judgment of Elohim. And it speaks to the holiness of God's people and the reverence that we are to have to God and to one another. Here's the judgment of Elohim, of God. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take the blasphemer outside the camp and all who heard his blasphemy shall lean their hands on his head and the entire community shall stone him. And to the sons of Israel, you shall speak saying, any man who blasphemes his Elohim shall bear his sin. In other words, you asked for this. It's part of the law about how to highly regard Yahweh, his name, not to put anything before him. So he bears his sin and one who blasphemously pronounces the name of Yahweh shall be put to death. The entire community shall stone him, convert and resident alike. If he pronounces the divine name, he shall be put to death. Now, let's, let's consider this for just a second. I'll use my little, that works. Yahweh. Yahweh. When you listen to a Hebrew, if a Hebrew read this and translated it into English, he would say, and he would not say Yahweh, he would say Adonai. Then Adonai spoke to Moses. But you see, that's not Adonai. That says Yahweh. And the position for those of us in Christ is that his name is high and holy and to read it as it comes in the word of God is not to misuse his name. We're reading it like it is, okay? But to pronounce it in a way as to curse 
brings down upon the guilty death by stoning. Not just the natural born Israelite, but someone who is well has converted to become an Israelite. Now this guy was half Israelite, but he was all wrong. And so Yahweh swiftly moves because of the high holiness of his name. His name is placed in such a high place in the presence of God's people. And the psalmist says that he's placed his word above all of his name. Think of how important his word is to him. So now you don't lightly take the name of Yahweh and misuse it as an Israelite. You will immediately be stoned to death. So this becomes the law within the law of Moses. So this leads to further instructions regarding penalties, transgressing the holiness of the position of the redeemed. If a man strikes down any human being, he should be put to death. And one who slays an animal shall pay for it. Now, of course, strikes, that means he killed him. Shall pay for it the value of life for the life he took. And a man who inflicts an injury upon his fellow man, just as he did, so it shall be done to him. Namely, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he inflicted an injury upon a person, so shall it be inflicted upon him. Now for that culture, this is a law of warning and fairness. There used to, um, back in the days prior to, to the Civil War, uh, what was it called? Um, there was a, there was a, a, a system of fighting in the United States. It came out of the colonial days. Um, well foot. I can't think of when it was. What? No. This was, this was just good old boys fighting each other. And their chief aim, they would bite ears off. They were very cruel. It wasn't called blood and guts. It was called something else. Uh, rough and tumble. Thank you. Thank you. Rough and tumble. They would, to get the other guy to concede, their favorite thing to do was to try to gouge an eye out of the opponent. Well, that's an effective thing. So they would pop it out and then they'll just rip the rest of it off. And I read in the book that back in those days, you would see a lot of men wearing a patch over one eye. Well, they were the losers. <laughs> well, that law, he says, eye for eye, there was an agreement there that they were going to fight until one of them gave up or until he died, one or the other. But in this case, 
Suppose I just walked up to a guy and said, I don't like you and I'm going to poke your eye out and I poked your eye out. Well, the law here would be for him to have his eye poked out as well, tooth for tooth and so forth. This was a law to keep things, to keep things even. You know, okay, you had some six foot eight, 380 pound guy. He could walk around poking eyes out all the time unless there was a law that said you do that once and you do it illegally, then you're going to have to have your eye poked out. Well, that was, that would, that would restrain you, I guess, from wanting to walk around and throw your weight around. So this was to protect the common people. Just as he inflicted an injury upon a person, so it shall be inflicted upon him. They were to be at peace with one another. If they had a disagreement, there was a provision within the law and they could bring it to the, to the elder, to the, the court that they, they existed, even all the way up to Moses. And it could be settled according to the law that God had given Moses. But you could not live in a chaotic society. You know, where it was just survival of the fittest. God did not permit that. And that's why he follows up what he has taught earlier here with these penalties. You are to live a peaceful and holy life. You're not to be like the unrestrained pagans around you. You have a purpose for existence and God has given you that purpose and you cannot forsake that purpose. So they had to walk in the shadow of this, this law of equality uh, with regard to punishment. And one who injures an animal shall pay for it. One who strikes a person shall be put to death. One law shall be exacted for you Convert and resident alike, for I am Yahweh, your God. And Moses told all of this to the sons of Israel. So they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him. And the children of Israel did just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. So they were to treat Yahweh and his name and service to him with reverence. They were to attend to the sensitivity of sinning, whether it was a willful sin or a sin of ignorance. They were to attend to the, the uh, offerings, the sacrifices that were to be made, and they were to be sensitive to it. They were to understand their sinful condition, and they were to understand that provision had been made for their forgiveness and, and their complete restoration, if you will, to the, to the people of God. This is something that was very important. So added to that then are these warnings about penalties regarding unruly people who, were unre who might be unrestrained in what they said or what they did. And there was a price to pay. There were penalties to pay. 
We're going to stop here and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Okay. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for providing the light of your word that your people might walk therein. For your divine presence, the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit who enlightens us through your word to our path and how we should live our lives, that we might be pleasing to you. Help us and strengthen us in our lives here today as your people, that we might understand what it means to be holy before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.